We are in the last Sunday of our But God series. We've spent eight weeks over three months, figure that math out, eight weeks over three months in a But God series. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things. We said, uh, although we were sons of disobedience, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. We talked about how with man, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We talked about how, how you may have meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for my good. We talked about the, um, the story in Acts where they said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. There was the psalmist who said, my heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jonah wrote, although I sank down, but God raised my life from the pit. That there is no temptation that has overcome you except that which is common to man, but God is faithful and he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's been a series to remind us that although our life is going one way, we have a God who can stop us, turn us, and send our life in another direction. That his word is the final word. We have a God who intervenes and steps in to help us in our time of need. And I want to end this series today by looking at a very uh, popular, well-known verse from the book of Romans. Romans 6, 23. Some people use this verse for what's called one verse evangelism because it has the whole beauty of the gospel wrapped up in one little verse. You have everything you need to explain the good news of Jesus Christ in this one little verse. And I think it's important for us to end this series here because although it is important and critical that we understand how God intervenes in our life on the day to day, like when we need a miracle, when we're believing for the impossible, when we're in great pain or great confusion or where we feel far from him, it is critical to know that we have a God who sees that, who steps in and helps us in those moments. It builds our faith. It reminds us of his goodness and his grace. But above all of that, there's a greater situation all of us find ourselves in. It's the big elephant in the room. That although we do have a God that is like that, a God who intervenes, a God who steps in, a God who is kind and gracious and generous, a God who is merciful and loving and faithful to a thousand generations. Although all of that is 100% true, all of us betray that love every day in pursuit of our own selfish desires. And that's what I want us to deal with and address today. What do we do with that reality? How do we confront that? And I think Paul in the book of Romans is helping us with just that. Over the first six chapters of the book, he's talking about, you know, the depravity of man and the sin that we all find ourselves in. He talks about how we're justified not by what we do, but by our faith and the one in whom we put our trust in. He confronts us with the reality of death and the potential for new life in Christ. And he's unpacking this beautiful and difficult gospel tension. That although Jesus' death renews us and restores us and makes us whole, at the very same time, all of us will have and will continue to wrestle and struggle with the sin that demanded his sacrifice in the first place. It's the tension. That yes, in God we have the greatest sacrifice, the greatest display of love, the nearness of his mercy and his grace. He's taken us out from under the law and he's put us under the grace of Jesus. And yet, we continue to turn back away from him towards sin. And so he asks these questions 
Paul, as he writes the book to the Romans, he asks these questions. He says, what are we supposed to do with that? Should we keep sinning? Because we're not under the law, we're under grace. So is, can we sin for free? He says, what do we do? Shall I keep sinning so that grace may abound? Because maybe the more sin I have, the more grace I experience. Is, is that what I'm supposed to do? Of course, he says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. But he is calling us in this moment to reflect rightly on what we do with the revelation of that reality. We live in this tension. So what do we do now? And he presents us with a choice that we have. Because there's a couple of roads that we can take in response to this. There's a couple of choices that we can make. And each of those choices comes with a heavy price. But along the way, there's a gift that's given to us. So we're going to talk about the choices we make, the prices we pay, and the gifts we receive. The title of the message is The Gift. Turn with me to Romans 6. We're going to read verse 20 through 23. This is Paul writing. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the ends of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are inviting you into this space to speak to our hearts and to our minds, to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend what you are saying to us. So God, would you meet us here and would you be glorified this day? In Jesus' name, amen. It's the choices that we have to make. One of the privileges we have living in America is the privilege of choice. We have options upon options upon options upon options. You go to the store, you find 15 different styles of deodorant, 33 styles of cheese, four types of milk. I mean, everything you need. You got eggs that are organic, free range, free range and organic, cared for, loved on, painted, unpainted, brown, white, speckled and otherwise. We have choices. And if you're like me, you get overwhelmed by all those choices. Because on one hand, it seems like when you have so many choices to make every day, every choice means a little bit less. And yet at the same time, for some reason, I don't know why, it also seems like every choice gets harder and harder to make. We have so many options ahead of us. And every day we have to make so many choices around what we do, what we buy, where we go, how we speak, everything. And what do you do when you're confronted with so many choices each and every day. Be honest. You find like one thing you like and you just stick to that and you never change. Ain't that what you do? You just pick one, you go, it's good enough. And then that's my thing. I keep it. And that's just don't change off of that. Uh, my wife and I will buy groceries from Instacart every once in a while because you tried taking three kids under six to Wegmans on a Saturday. So every once in a while, we will order groceries via Instacart. And the first time you use the app, Instacart's just an app. You can order groceries they'll deliver to your house or you can pick it up at the store. First time you place an order, you got to search for everything you want. You got to find it. You got to add it to your car. And it takes a little bit of time. But Instacart is so smart because they gave me the gift of the buy it again list. 
which is they just memorize the first order that I placed, and I just open the app back up, and it says, do you just want to buy it again? Because what do they know? Making a new decision is hard. I don't have time to be searching for everything I need, so I just scrolled through the buy it again list, and I buy it again, 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 buy it again. And this is a trivial example, but it just proves my point. The first time I placed the Instacart order, I put the wrong type of yogurt in my cart, and I bought that yogurt for like six months. Because it was in my buy it again. I just buy it again, buy it again, buy it again. And it's like, oh, man, that's the wrong one. Kept doing it. Because they know it's hard to make choices. You just get stuck in a rhythm, stuck in a pattern. It's easier to do what you've always done than it is to do a new thing. And this is true not just with our groceries. This is true of everything we face in our life. We have a million choices that we can make, a million opportunities before us. Right now, you can open up your phone and order just about anything you'd like in the world and have it on your doorstep within like two days. You have more credit available to you to pay for the things that you don't need to buy, but you're going to buy anyways, because why not? It's in my cart and it's 5% off. We have more information made available to us than all the other generations of the world combined in this moment, in the palm of our hands. It's so easy for any of us to choose today to move to a new city, get a new job, find some new friends. We can do it. We have the means available to us. We have the choices ahead of us. It's really not that hard. And yet, what do most of us do? We find a few rhythms we like, a few products we enjoy, a few restaurants that we like to go to, a few favorite people, and then we don't shift off of that. We just make the same decision day after day, year after year, month after month. And then we wonder sometimes why we're not going anywhere in life. And I just wonder that if you're making the same choices and you're ending up in the same place, maybe it's time to make a different selection. Maybe there's another choice that you can make. Maybe there's something in the habit that needs to be altered. You know, this is true not just of the choices we make, but the way we choose to behave. This is kind of a fun one, if you ask me, because most of us find ourselves stuck in behavioral patterns and cycles. Just instinctive, automatic responses to situations. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to weigh the pros and cons. Something happens and we respond a certain way. A day comes, we do a thing. Good example, it's Sunday morning. You're here in church. I bet you didn't have to think too hard about that. Something within you said, it's Sunday. On Sunday, I go to church. So I get up, I get dressed, I go to church. It's great. That's a good habit. Don't change that habit. Don't Don't undo that. And if you don't have that habit, Make that habit. Just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding, but do it. Um, I just don't mean to be judgy. We're stuck in behavioral habits, patterns, loops. It's not always for good. Sometimes it's for bad. Because what happens when your kid reacts a certain way or makes a bad decision? What happens when your spouse forgets to do the thing that you asked them to do? Or what happens when you're running really late and you jump in the car trying to get where you got to go and then you slam into traffic and you yell in frustration and you curse You didn't think about it. It was automatic. We even say, oh, it just slipped out. What is that? But a conditional response to a situation that when I feel one way, I react this way. We experience it with stress. You get a new opportunity at work. You take on a new job, maybe a difficult project, or maybe you're confronted with a situation that you need to handle that you've never handled before. And you're staring at it. And what do you do? You just start worrying. 
you just start freaking out. You just start stressing out. Your mind just starts cycling through every possibility, every question you could have. And for some reason, every question I have ends with an answer I don't like. Every option that lies before me goes to a place I don't want to go. And you didn't choose to freak out. You didn't decide, now I'm going to spiral out of control. Your body has a learned response to certain situations. When I feel stress and uncertainty, I turn to anxiety. I turn to worry. I turn to fear. It's a behavioral pattern. I'll give you one more because I think it's worth addressing. You have a long day at work. You're dealing with some people that are real difficult to deal with sometimes. Or maybe it's a long project or a long season of service or I don't know. You pick your poison, whatever it is, man. But you're tired. You want to unwind. You want to relax. Things have been hard and you deserve a break. And so you run right to whatever your coping mechanism is. That thing that helps you numb the feelings. So you pour an extra couple of drinks. Or you scroll social media for hours instead of engaging with your family. Or you put on Netflix all night and you just turn your brain off to the world. You open up a web browser and go some places you shouldn't go. And you didn't even think about it. You didn't even decide to do it. It's what just came up out of you because your body knows when I feel this way, I respond that way. And the problem with that last one is we even tell ourselves I deserve it. I just need to turn my brain off for a little while. I just need to zone out. Man, I've been doing so much work. I just need to. And we are reconditioning ourselves to turn to coping mechanisms and numbing solutions to avoid feeling the pain of life. It's conditioned within us. We don't have to think about it. We just instinctively go there. Do you know what the Bible calls that? Do you know what the Bible calls it? When you don't even have to make a choice around what you do, you just do it. Do you know what the Bible calls it? When you live your life on autopilot to such a degree that you're not deciding to make a bad decision, bad decisions are just flowing out of you. Do you know what the Bible calls that? The Bible says that you are a slave to that thing. You might say, well, that's kind of harsh. I don't really like that word. I don't really either. But the reality is we are a slave to what we serve. And the point I'm trying to make is that these choices we make in life, they're not just a bad habit we're trying to break. They are masters we're spending our lives serving. And Paul is asking us, look at the course of your life. What master are you serving? Where are you heading? Because you're only going to end up in a place that you've allowed yourself to be led. So who is leading you? And what are you getting as the fruit of your life by following the master that you serve? You know, although we have a million choices, we really only end up on two paths. You either have the path to sin or the path to righteousness. And they lead in two very different places. So as you come to the end of your life, or even let's just lower the stakes a little bit. As you come to the end of your season, maybe you're in a season of singleness. And when you come to the end of the season of singleness and you find yourself engaged to be married and you look back over the course of your life, what will your decisions have produced? When your kids are grown and they're out of the house and they're off into the world, or maybe when you finally have graduated, or maybe when you've reached the career goals you've been trying to reach and you have been killing yourself day after day to reach those goals, what will your decisions have produced? Because you have a million choices to make every day, but they really only lead you down one of two paths. 
And those paths go in two very different places. And the Bible is encouraging us to pause for a moment, to reflect, to look at our decisions and see where have they led us. Paul says, when you were a slave to sin, when you were blindly following the desires of the flesh, what did that really get you? Were you really fulfilled? Was it really what you wanted? Do you look back and go like, yeah, that was it. I did it. Yeah. That. If we're honest, I think most of us look back at those seasons of our life with a great, honest, and earnest sense of regret. We find we were only living for ourselves. We were hurting all others around us. Those seasons tend to end up being the periods of our life we look back on. There were seasons of, of wandering, of pain, of empty promises, of hope deferred. Things that we're ashamed of. And Paul says, if you look at the course of your life and you see that it's producing only things that you're ashamed of, maybe you're not on the right path. But the good news is that there's another path that we can take and we can choose to take it. A million choices, two paths, path to sin or the path to righteousness. And I'm not here to tell you like the path of righteousness is like the easy one and it's, you know, the rainbow road with the lollipop forest and um, we've been playing a lot of Candyland in my house. Um, <laughs> path of righteousness is not easy either. Don't get me wrong. It requires daily discipline, daily sacrifice. It extracts a price from you every day. There is no doubt that the path of righteousness is a hard path to take. But here's the truth. I've seen the other path. And as Bishop Brett always says, I'll choose my version of hard over your version of hard any day of the week. Because I know where the path to righteousness leads. I know what I find at the end of it. I know where it's going and I like what's down that road. And when I have followed the, the pattern of my flesh, it has not produced in me things that I'm proud of, only things that I'm ashamed of. But the path of righteousness, the path of pursuing God, Genuinely, it creates the best version of you. Paul says it leads to sanctification. That's the word that he uses. Sanctification is a big theological word. It just means becoming like Christ. So when I follow Jesus, I become more like Jesus. The Bible talks about this as putting off the old man and putting on a new man. I get a brand new version of me. I don't just get a polished up version of me. I get a brand new version of me. And I get to walk as the best version of myself imaginable. And when I come to the end of my life, he says I get an eternal reward, everlasting life with my God. That's the promise of heaven forever and for always. And that's a deal that's too good to pass up. There's a million choices, but there's only two paths. We have the choice to make which path that we take. The path to sin, which leads to things we're ashamed of, or the path of righteousness, which leads to, Christ, to life and Christ-likeness. We can choose which path we take. But each path has a price of its own. That's the second thing I want to talk about, the prices we pay. You may have heard the expression, you get what you pay for. That's true. Sometimes you get more than when you pay for. Find a good deal. Get that two-for-one discount. You can actually get double for your money. Sometimes you pay for more than you get. Great example. When was the last time you renewed your cell phone plan? 
Uh huh. That's the sneakiest business model I have ever seen. I don't know how they do it, but they do it every time. There are things that are promised, and then there is a price that gets extracted from me later. I'm not a big fan of the cell phone place. Okay, I go in there, and what do they do? They promise me things. Man, for $10 more a month, you can add a line, upgrade your phone. We'll give you free Wi-Fi in there. Get an unlimited plan. You get $5 more a month per phone, blah, blah, blah. I'll give you Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, ESPN Plus, Paramount Plus, Shopping Network Plus, Save the Whales Plus. Uh, I give you everything plus, 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 plus. And you go like, well, man, and I get the new iPhone, you know, 15. Well, I got it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great deal. I guess I have to take it. Well, I would be crazy not to take it. It's only $10 more a month. I can afford $10 more a month. It's like two cups of coffee. What is that? I can do that. This sounds great. Yeah, let's do this. So you get what's promised. You get your new cell phone, you get your upgraded unlimited plan, and you walk out of there with an extra cell phone for your kid or your spouse. And actually one time, one time they tried to sell me on an extra cell phone line for my house. <laughs> Not for a person, for my house. And they said, if you upgrade an Adeline, you can get the free off cell phones and this, and then we'll take 5% off your that. And all you got to do is this. And I'm going, listen, I'm, I'm not that old, but I am old enough to remember landlines and house phones. And I'm old enough to remember once we all got cell phones in our pockets, most of us said, I don't really need something plugged into the wall. I've got one in my pocket. And they're trying to sell me a cell phone that I'm about to put in a drawer and leave there for two years. (laughs) And if you can hear the pain in my voice, they got me on that one and I did it. Things were promised to me. They didn't tell me the price. They just told me the promise. And how many of you know when you get that first bill, that thing ain't no $10 more a month. Somehow that $10 turned into $50 to $100. You're looking at processing fee, upgrade fee, recycling fee, clerking fee, taxes, tags, titles. I mean, state, you got to clean the ocean fee and a plant a tree fee. And nobody told me about what this would actually cost me. You made a promise that I was going to get something that wasn't going to cost that much. And now I find myself later paying a price I don't really want to pay. What am I trying to say? Sin is like a cell phone bill. It promises you more than you pay for It says you're going to get a lot more than it's actually going to cost you. Oh, it says it's going to feel good. It's going to be good. You're going to experience it. You're going to be the man. Go ahead and have it. I'm not going to tell you how much it costs. But a few months later, a few years later, that bill is coming due. And you're going to have some sticker shock as you look at the price of your sin compounded over the years of your life. Oh, there's a price. But they don't tell you what it costs. Just what it promises you. And that bill comes due one way or another. And I just want to tell you the price of sin. What it earns per hour. It's wages. When it's fully formed in your life. Do you know what it demands from you? Everything. The price of lust in your life. It's not coming to make you feel guilty because you get caught one day. It won't be satisfied until it has your family, your marriage, your children, your integrity, your reputation, and every relationship in your life. Sin is insatiable. It's not to be trifled with. The price of pride in your life, when it's fully formed, it's not that some people think you're arrogant and kind of a jerk. It's that you are left alone with no sense of self-worth. 
because you have made yourself your God and you can't carry that weight. The price of sin, it's death. But the thing about wages are that wages are not paid out in a lump sum. It's not like you come work here, work for me, you work for 20 years. At the end of it, I give you one check for everything you've earned over 20 years. Wages are paid out in small dosages on a regular rhythm over many years. The wages of sin, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. Just enough to get you to not really notice or take it that seriously. And you say, man, nobody's being hurt by this. Nobody sees it. I've been doing it for so long. It's, I mean, it's just, I'm the only one it affects, so what's the big deal? Man, keep investing. The compounded interest over 20, 40, 60 years, it's a lot more than what you put in every week. It's going to be a windfall that knocks you off your feet. The bill comes due. The lie is that your little sin has no great impact. Just keep it where it is, man. Don't even worry about it. Don't even address it. The price is everything. And it comes for what it is owed. It's the price that we pay for the choices that we make. And as we head down one path in life, we must stop to consider, do the choices I make today actually impact my tomorrow? Do they really impact my eternity? Because if they do, maybe I need to consider which path I'm actually on. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that if you find yourself on that path, Jesus meets you on that path and he comes bearing gifts. These are the gifts we receive. You ever, um, sorry for yelling so much. I just really am passionate about that. You ever, um, forgotten your wallet at a restaurant? It's our worst feeling in the world. Oh my gosh. You show up, you sit down, you order. I mean, I love a good restaurant. That's like peak. I mean, just all I want to do every day ever is just go to a restaurant and eat and have a great experience and a great meal and you enjoy it and you order what you want. And then you get to the end of the meal and you're just happy. It's good. You're full. And then the bill comes. You start doing the Macarena. <laughs> you checking pockets. You've never put a wallet in your front pocket before in your life. You're going, is it here? And then that dread sets in on you because you really only have one option and you only have that option if you came to eat with a person. Which is then you got to look at that person and go, listen, I swear to you, I'm not playing around. This is not a joke. I promise you I didn't leave my wallet at home. I swear. I just, I forgot it. Could you cover me? I'm cringing thinking about it. But I know that if I were with you all and I forgot my wallet, you guys would look out for me, right? You cover, you cover what I owe, right? All right, who wants brunch after church? <laughs> Y'all just said you got me. Okay. But you would pay the price that I owed, right? Because if you're going out with family or friends, it's like, it's not even a big deal. Like, don't even worry about it. It happens. We've all been there. I'll cover you. That right there, that exchange, there's a spiritual term for that moment. It's the word atonement. It means to cover over 
what is due. It means to pay the price, or it means to make right that which is wrong. So each of us sit at the table of life, and we order to our heart's content, and we eat, and we're happy, and we enjoy the most out of life that we can enjoy. And we don't really think about the end of the meal, but the end of the meal is coming. And at the end of the meal comes a bill, a bill for a life lived according to your own pleasure. And you find yourself searching for a wallet that doesn't exist and looking around going, is there anybody here that can pay the price that I owe? Did I bring any family with me? Is there a wallet even big enough? What is the price of a life of sin? Paul says the price is death. Death is an eternal price. Death is permanent, if you didn't know that. It lasts for all of eternity. How do you pay an eternal price? You can only pay an eternal price with an eternal life. And so when the Bible describes Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, when the Bible describes Jesus by saying all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. When the Bible says that Jesus is the beginning in that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we know that that word became flesh and that flesh had a name and his name was Jesus. When the Bible describes Jesus as that who has been eternally alive through whom all things were created, we begin to realize that the price of sin was never a price we were going to be able to afford to pay in the first place. Because an eternal price requires an eternal life. And Jesus on the cross, as his blood is spilt for us and his everlasting life is laid down for us, it is the only thing that atones, that covers over the debt that you and I owe. He covers us. We have racked up a debt over the course of our years. It's a bill that we cannot pay. We do not have the means to do it. And yet in him, we have one who pays the price for us. What do you call something you get that you didn't pay for? Called a gift. And what do you do with a gift? Do you earn it? No, you just receive it. Some of us are going, okay, well, what's that gift going to cost me? What do I have to do to get that gift? And I go, no, 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 you, 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 don't, you don't understand what the gift is. You don't pay for a gift. Somebody else pays for the gift. And that gift is given to you for free. What you do is you receive it. And then you decide whether or not you're going to open it. Jesus makes this gift available to each and every one of us. But I just want you to know there is a difference between something being made available to you and you possessing it. Oh, the gift is available. Some of you all have heard the gospel preached so many times for so many years. You can get up here and do it better than I can. But you've never taken possession of it. It has just eternally been made available to you. And you have spent your life admiring the gift and looking at the gift and discussing the gift. But never once have you taken the gift 
and received it. Let me illustrate it like this. I did not forget my wallet today. I have a $100 bill. I'm going to make this available to you. Who wants it? Yeah, praise God. Praise God. You see that? Hands shooting up all over the place. I've made it available to you, and you clearly want it, but my question is, what are you willing to do to get it? Wave at me from a chair? <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, chill, 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 chill. Because <laughs> it's only $10, and I've only got one. I'm a pastor with three kids. I don't have $100 just flowing around in the church like that, okay? So... Stacey, and you are on staff. You get a paycheck, first of all. <laughs> said, I'm trying to put my kids through college, man. <laughs> my point is this. Just because it's available to you doesn't mean that you have taken possession of it. And there's something more that needs to happen than acknowledging that the gift is there or saying that you'd like it. If we just say, God, I thank you for the gift, I would like it, all we have done is added it to our wish list. And that's a big difference than going and getting the gift that he has placed under the tree for you or on the table or however you want to describe it. There's a difference to opening the gift that he's given us. You know, it's profound to me It is utterly profound to me to think of this relationship that we have with God. That he has been faithful to us millennia before we were ever even like thought of. He was faithful to us and he loved us. From everlasting to everlasting, he has loved us and he has been faithful to us. And we have been made aware of that love. We have been made aware of the relationship that is available to us. And yet, we betray that love every day. And we accrue a debt. I mean, if you had a friend like you, you would have cut them years ago. If you treated you the way, and if I treated me the way I treat God, man, I would have gotten rid of me a long time ago. I only show up when I have a need. I'm always asking for forgiveness, and yet I'm never changing my behavior. And yet God's eternal faithful love is unchanging towards me. And I come to the end of my life with one of those CVS-length receipts of debts. And God says, you got that? Or you want me to cover it? I go, I forgot my wallet anyways. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to pay that. That is utterly profound to me. That yet while we were still sinners... That's when Christ died for me. I think that's a truth I will never get over. While I had nothing to offer, Jesus Christ died for me. 
that the wages of my sin is death. But the free gift of God is life. All we have to do is take possession of it. He's covered over it. Now we have to receive it. So what I want to do as we close is I just want to pray. And I know I kind of came for raising your hand in church or just praying a prayer. And I don't mean to say that that's not important or that that's not a significant moment in your walk. What I'm saying is that's not sufficient. Following Jesus is not a one-time choice. It's an everyday decision. That every day I raise my hand to God. And I say, today I'm yours. And tomorrow I'll be yours. And the day after I'll be yours. Not just on Sunday. Every day. And I do believe that this moment can mark the beginning of that. But you guys, it cannot stay there. Otherwise, we're just telling God that we would like a gift. And we're not taking possession of it. You know, it's funny because in the first service, Pastor J.C. Sherrod, I pulled that money out of my pocket and he jumped up and ran at the altar. And there was something profound to me about that because J.C. Sherrod is one of the most um, incredible disciples of Jesus that I've ever met. And internally wired within him is not that I sit back and wait for God to bring it to me. It's that I go to him and get it. I chase after him. I want more of him. I'm not satisfied with God being my butler. I'm going to serve him with my life. And that's the shift I hope we go through in this moment as we look at the tension of the good gift of God in the depravity of our souls is let us run the race towards Jesus. And let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap a harvest. Let's run. With every head bow and every eye closed. Although at this point in the message, I should be able to ask you to just run down to the altar. But I'll respect where you're at. And I'll just say, if you want to receive that gift today, would you throw your hand up in the air right now? Real confident. Praise God. Thank you. Real confident. Amen. 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 Praise God for that. Good. There's no shame in this. We don't need to be embarrassed by our sin. Every person in this room wrestles with it. But the free gift of God is forgiveness of your sins, eternal life with him, and a day-by-day growing into his image and likeness. And you get to experience the blessings of that as the spirit of God goes with you and empowers you for every day of your life. So if that's you, those hands that were raised, pray this prayer. Say, God, forgive me. I need your saving grace. I've been on the path of sin and today I'm turning from it. I'm repenting of my life lived for me and I'm choosing to live my life for you. I'm calling you the Lord of my life and the savior of my soul. From this day forward, I'm following you and you alone. And if you today 
perhaps have just had a wrong view of this gift. And you have been spending your life trying to earn it or trying to pay for it. Or you have been resisting receiving it because you think you're not good enough yet. You know what we need to do about that? We need to repent for that because that's a wrong way of thinking about God. So if that's you, let's just take another moment and let's just repent for not seeing God the right way. Father, we're sorry. You know, our earthly minds think that whatever I get, I have to earn. That I have to achieve it. I have to chase after it. I have to, I have to put in the sweat and the, and the work to get something. And yet, God, you're not like that. You give freely and you give generously and you give graciously. Father, I'm no longer going to think that I need to earn your love. But I am going to receive it. And in receiving it, God, I'm going to take possession of it. And I'm going to throw off the old way of living. And I'm going to put on the new way of living. And I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to renew me day by day. That I might be more like you. And that I might see your purposes fulfilled in my life. Thank you for your grace and your loving kindness. Help me to walk with you each and every day, I pray. In Jesus' name. You say amen. Can we give a hand to God for those who prayed those prayers? This is the start of a journey, but it's an everyday decision. And here's what I want you to do. If that was you, man, you boldly, you threw your hand up. And I'm grateful for that. I saw those hands, man. You threw them up. You were confident. You were taking possession of it. That's just the start. That's certainly not the end. And we don't want you just pulled off of the path to sin and placed on a road to righteousness. We want to knit you in our caravan of people who are traveling together. We're called the body of Christ. We're family. We want to pull you in with us. The way that we do that is through a class called Discover Discipleship. We do it every Sunday at 4 p.m. So every week, no matter where you are, you can get in the process of being discipled and joining this family who's trying to figure out the best way to pursue God. So if that's you, I want you to text right now. I want you to text New Life to 82155. Just text one word, New Life, 82155. Send them what, whatever they ask for. And you'll get a link. You'll do, you'll do a class today. If you can't do it today, do it next week. Can't do it next week, do the week after that. But take possession of it because today is the day we're going to march down this road with confidence and with boldness, not passively, but actively.